It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger stranger around the corner. Let's go there. Let's go there. Okay. All right. Cheers. To the shores. To the shores. Cheers. How's your Wednesday been? Man. I don't know. I was pretty talkative at dinner. I was like, you were pretty, you're in a good mood today. I was. What's yeah. putting you in a good mood? Um, Jeez. I guess I've had a few things work out business-wise. That was nice. Uh, my daughter's gra- graduated this year or on Saturday. Yeah. So. That's very exciting. Super crazy. Just great reminiscing and just thinking about how just kind of wonderful person she is. And how does that feel to have your first child cross that threshold out of the education system and into... Yeah. Her, what would you say, into her independence? Yeah, I mean, for sure. She's always been really independent um, in general, you know? So, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, just in contrast, uh, a guy who uh, works for me, uh, he just had a baby and he brought him brought their little baby by today. Mm. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, and then I showed him a picture, like those right there I showed you and like my first day walking Ellie to school, mm. to kindergarten, you know? Yeah. It's like, it happens fast. And it's like, everyone tells you that stuff, but it's just true. Will you lower your mic just slightly? It's yeah. blocking your mouth. There you go. Blocking my mouth. Yeah. Nice. That's one thing I actually like about this studio setup with mm. these mics is we don't have those pop filters blocking the, uh, blocking your mouth. Yeah, 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 totally. It feels like a more natural conversation <laughs> when I can see your lips move. I'm hiding. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can hide if you want. I'm just putting in a request. I know. I feel so exposed now. Like, thank mm-hmm. you can see my lips. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it is fun. I mean, did you get, was that emotional for you at all? Uh, I mean a little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just mostly just feels good, you know, like, and uh, just proud of her and mm. she's just a great human being. That's awesome. <laughs> That's the truth. Well, congrats to you, Elia. Very, yeah. very proud of you. Definitely. Maybe you'll listen to one of these episodes one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wonder if my kids secretly listen to our episodes. Maybe. I doubt it. I doubt it too. I can't imagine that they would find this entertaining. <laughs> They've got their TikToks and Instagrams and <laughs> all of that. Yeah. But it's cool. I mean, like we're getting older and it's like, I'm, I'm so okay with that. Like I'm mm-hmm. okay with my kids moving on into the world and I don't know. I feel, feel kind of good about it. Good. Yeah. I mean, it will be weird. Not like she's just not there. Yeah. You know? Will she be around this summer? Mm-hmm. And then she'll go to college mm-hmm. to Texas State, right? Yeah. Cool. I mean, she's going to be in and out all summer long. She's got mm-hmm. quite the summer plans. <laughs> so we'll get a little taste of that. Like, oh, she's not here. Yeah. So I think I think Austin will probably miss her the most. They, they live in the same room. So right. that'll be real. I think that'll be hard on him for sure. Hmm. But... I don't know. Yeah, so that's kind of how my sort of Wednesday week has been. Yeah. Good. Yeah, how about you? I don't know. I'm living in a strange period of life right now. Mm. I was thinking about <clears throat> that analogy that Jordan Peterson uses. How does he set it up? It's something like, like we think we know what things are, and he mm. uses the analogy of a car. It's like you think you know what a car is, but you don't drive a car. You drive something that gets you from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't become a car until it breaks down. Hmm. And then the full complexity of what a car is reveals itself to you. And you don't really know what it is and what's going on inside. Yeah. And I feel like these last this last week maybe, you know, my dad passed away about a month ago and I also started a new job uh, within that month. And everything seems like my life, use that same analogy on my life, mm. suddenly I see what my life is. Mm. doesn't mean I understand it or I know all the constituent parts, but everything seems blindingly complex and complicated and I'm just sort of swimming in it. It's hard to know 
how or what to focus on, whether that's grief or family or job or hobbies, reading, writing, all this stuff seems laid bare in hmm. front of me. It's interesting how you phrase that also with the car thing in that you just don't understand how complicated things are until there's a problem or right. there's something missing. You're right. like, oh, well, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Like also just all the things you're holding up, you know, as far as, you know, supporting your kids, you know, your ex-wife, your, uh, right. you know, all the things that you sort of carry and sort of, you just kind of do that almost without thinking. And then, you know, you lose your job. There's something that kind of like, yeah. whoa, you know, uh, and then you, you have a new job and then you're like, okay, I'm faced with all this new experience that seems orient you have to orient yourself to you know yeah there's something similar going on simultaneously between the passing of my father and the starting of a new job i was telling you earlier at dinner that i feel like anytime you start a new job you or at least i do struggle with imposter syndrome mm. because when you're looking for a job you know you put together a resume you put your your best forward mm. And you're selling yourself and you're saying, you know, I'm experienced, I'm capable, I'm talented, I'm competent, I'm going to bring tons of value to your company. And then they hire you and you get there and you show up on day one and it's like you don't know anything about anything because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a brand new company. And you might know a lot about your particular role, but there's so many specifics to your role that are going to be specific to that company, mm -hmm. to that particular role at that particular job. So you're learning in the first couple of weeks or a couple of months, I think at any new job, you're just an information download, learning the terrain. So you're not really flexing, you know? Mm. And so I tend to have this imposter syndrome, like, am I really who I said that I was? Mm. And so it makes you look at yourself mm. and ask that question, am I who I say that I am? And the answer isn't obvious. Mm -hmm. And there's some anxiety that comes with that. But similar to how you said, you don't know the things that you're holding up. When things are going well, you don't need to notice them. Mm -hmm. We are tuned to notice things that are not going well because that's, those are the things that need your attention. Mm -hmm. So there's this simultaneous question. On the one hand, I'm in a new job and I'm asking, am I really who I say I am? And then with my dad passing... All of a sudden, it's like, what, who was he? And what, what was my relationship with him? Mm -hmm. Everything has a light shined on it. You know, when he was still here, I didn't really have to ask those questions. Yeah. He was who he was and our relationship was what it was. And it was good. And it was, it was a really good thing in my life. Hmm. And now I faced with it. Mm -hmm. What was it? How good was it? Could it have been better? How's my relationship with my kids? Is it going in a direction that I want it to go? When you're saying this, it, it kind of reminds me of the difference between little deaths versus large shifts um, like extreme shifts, you know, like, mm -hmm. like when you experience little deaths over time, bigger things, it's, it's, it, you're kind of almost ready for bigger things, you know, like, like, again, I think, you know, whenever you experience your, the first death of, of sort of your family members, it's the, it's the, has the biggest impact, you know, but it's like, as you, as that sort of becomes, I'm thinking like, you know, once we're like 70 and 80 and 90, mm. it's like we start losing our friends. And before long, after about the 12th or 15th or 20th, if you get to make it that long, there's something that I feel like kind of sets in where you kind of understand that that's part, like a part of life. And I don't want to like diminish or sort of demean that, but it does seem like that kind of happens. Like the, like the first parent who passes like that seems to have the biggest impact, you know, um, 
not that <laughs> this makes sense. I don't want to like demean, demean like any, any, anybody's death or anything like that, but it's just sort of, I feel like that's something that I've kind of observed, um, just in general is sort of like, it's always that first loss, you know, um, whether it be in business or personal or, you know, it has the, has sort of like the, has a, has a way of kind of having the biggest impact Would that, would that make sense to you? I don't know <clears throat> that I necessarily agree, but I, I see what you're saying. I think mm -hmm. that the more frequently something happens, so if you live into your 80s, you're going to start, you know, you're going to see the death of most of your family and most of your friends. And as that becomes a regular occurrence, you get to know it in a generalized sense rather than a specific sense. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> You know, you'll only have your your father will only die once. Yeah. But I'm not sure what you're trying to pull out of that. Well, it's a sort sort of idea of like like when you've gone through a grieving experience, like you you have more reference to what that means. And so that you're able to instead of being surprised by all the different grieving parts, you get to kind of just be in those grieving parts. You think that's a positive, a, a good thing? Mm -hmm. I do think so. I mean, I think that's just in, in life and in maturing, you know, as far as, you know, when you're young, there's this part where everything, you know, your first breakup, it's like the world is over. It's going mm. to end. Mm -hmm. And then your second or third breakup, it's hard, but then you also remember like, oh, but I also got through this. Yeah. And so there's like a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't make it any easier, but you have, you have perspective, you know, and maybe even maybe even be able to be more present with it too, you know, as mm. far as um, kind of already having gone through that grieving process, you know. But, I mean, I could totally be wrong, but that just seems, I feel like that's something I do see in life and yeah, just the, you know, going from sort of youth to sort of older age. And, I mean, it's hard because I, mean, I, I kind of see how that could be. That sounds like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> Like my dad's passed away. Well, my mom will have less of an impact. Well, no, not really. It's just that you kind of understand it better at that point. It's sort of a, you weren't expecting that. Mm. That wasn't a part of your frame of reference. And then usually something wakes up. I mean, it's the same thing, like sort of, I think uh, midlife crisis and stuff like that is you, you don't really understand that you're getting older, but then all of a sudden something tells you you're older. <laughs> and so you kind of have this like, oh, you know, it could be denial or, you know, it's sort of a, a track into that next stage of life, you know, that it is different. It's not, you're not 27 anymore, you know. Hmm. So I just feel like I see that kind of show up in a lot of different places. Um, yeah. Well, you said something that I, I wonder about is that <clears throat> can you be more present with something if it's less of a shock or less of a surprise, hmm. can you be more present with grief the more familiar you get with it? <clears throat> and I think, well, that seems plausible, mm -hmm. but also plausible that the more normalized something becomes, the easier it becomes to ignore. So if I'm less surprised, I'm less less shocked, less... Um, thrown off, I guess, mm -hmm. then I can more easily just throw myself into the normal movements of mm -hmm. the day and of life, and I don't have to be present with it. Well, I think then in that sense, you'd be kind of more talking about being less integrated or, you know, differentiated in that sense, you know, whenever, to me, that's just more ignoring is what you're saying, is mm -hmm. more suppressing. Right. And... You know, if if in the line that I'm thinking of is is sort of like more of the the maturing and growth area as far as like as you grow, it's like it starts to become like like something starts to kind of illuminate as we go through these different experiences, and you know, it kind of with any with anything, you know, no matter whether it's a first death or tenth or a hundredth death, you know, um, you know, we have a uh, a choice of being present with it or not, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that's, but I, I do think it does change over time and 
the difference between one versus as you grow, go through more and more, you know, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Something did kind of light up in me just then when you said, we illuminate. Hmm. Like, I want to be illuminated. Hmm. I want to live brightly. I don't know what that means. Yeah. But I want it. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to make something of myself and make something of my place in this world. Hmm. I was talking to my mom last weekend and she said there's something in her in her grief that wants to be creative. Hmm. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I I want to make something. And I feel that strongly. And I, I don't know why. It doesn't seem obvious to me that grief would inspire creativity. But Allison, your wife, said something to me about that too, hmm. that when she first heard of dad passing, she immediately thought there's going to be some good art made. Hmm. It's a strange thing to think, I think. Hmm. A lot of thinks in that sentence, but <laughs> <laughs> totally. it's a very Dr. Seuss kind of sentence. What, what's, what's strange about it to you? Like what, what part of that is... It just doesn't seem to me to follow that grief would inspire creativity. It seems like grief is something that you suffer. But it does seem like all art comes from, you know, some sort of suffering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's, it, it, it sort of opens the veil, you know, it kind of makes life a little bit more like it starts to shine like the like the golden hour, you know, right before sunset. Well, maybe we naively think that art is downstream of inspiration. Hmm. And we think of inspiration as this positive thing. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. But if I play a bit with the analogy of the car, you don't know the complexity of your car. You don't know what that is. You just know it gets you from point A to point B and then something goes wrong and your lack of knowledge about it illuminates the complexity of that object. Mm -hmm. And there's something like that with life, you know, something happens and you suffer it and you grieve it, but it also illuminates your life. It illuminates the complexity and all of the things that you don't understand. And illumination is not that far from inspiration. Mm-hmm. Maybe that is inspiring because we had your wife Allison on a couple of weeks ago and she was talking about how children make art. And I said, I, I wonder if art is exploratory mm-hmm. and all children make art because they don't have the means by which to make sense of things. They don't know much language. They don't have very much experience, but they're confronted with this massive and complex and somewhat incomprehensible existence in in world. And so they draw pictures of it. Mm -hmm. What is a cat? What is a dog? Mm -hmm. It's soft. I know that. What's it, you know, what are its features? And you draw it and you Mm. realize that you don't have a grasp, a good grasp of it and you've got to go look at another cat and then try the teacher again comes and by and goes, hey, doesn't the cat have whiskers? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh, yes, right. it does have yeah. whiskers. It's like you're drawing the kid's attention to... Right. You know. So when you are in the midst of complexity, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of breakdown, mm-hmm. everything is illuminated because you don't know what's important and what's not. You don't know what's functioning properly and what's not. Mm-hmm. And so you have to explore it. And art is a means of exploration. Which, that makes perfect sense to me. I started writing poetry over the last couple of years. But I never try to write a poem. It's always something that just sort of occurs spontaneously if I've been journaling for long enough that I reach a place in my mind that I don't understand very well. Hmm. And if I try to explore it, often a poem emerges. Mm -hmm. 
because poems are exploratory. They're not specific. They're not abstracted. They're something like the source, the marrow, the the inconsolable secret, <laughs> which one cannot hide and cannot tell. Mm-hmm. And art points at it. So, yeah, having talked through all that, that makes beautiful sense to me. <laughs> You're like, I love what I just said. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, I love, I love in this, you know, with you and I talking also the podcast. It's sometimes like when we're talking about things, we're kind of almost speaking to ourselves, or <laughs> We hear this totally. sort of the illumination like, oh, I actually agree with me, myself, and what I just said. <laughs> well, we quoted this a couple of weeks ago, but... Mm-hmm. Truth is the handmaiden of love and dialogue is the path to truth. Mm. You talk things out and you figure out what they are. Yeah. Dialogue is perhaps an art form. Mm. Which, that seems like something of a powerful statement. I mean, podcasts have become really popular, a really mm-hmm. popular means of entertainment and education over the last five, six years. Why is that? Why do people, why are people willing to sit down and listen to an hour or three hour conversation? Mm. Because you're exploring something. Mm -hmm. And when you partake in dialogue, even if it's just listening, you are also exploring. Your mind is participating. Yeah. You're exploring subjects. You're exploring yourself. You're exploring the mind of another and trying their perspective on for size and seeing things, seeing the world through their eyes, mm-hmm. which is a means of sense making. Yeah, I just listened to a podcast and they made this point that I think it was like Walter Cronkite, you know, they had their five stories and then they're like, and that's the news. Right. Wait, those five stories, that was the news? That's the news? Yeah, like, and that's, you know, obviously in the 80s and uh, even before, but... And today, just there's, you know, what is the news? And now we start looking at: is it financial news? Is it mm. uh, health news? Is it uh, foreign affairs? You know, I think there's just so many things that that statement. This is the news is just so, and also like, how are you looking at it? And I think that's the beautiful thing about the podcast area is you can look at and listen to people who are looking at it from different perspectives. It's just super helpful. And going back to the whole illuminating Mm -hmm. thing is um, when you hear and experience different perspectives, it's, it kind of adds to that illumination and helps us, helps you kind of see things from multiple, multiple angles. Right. And the question is, is what is the truth? (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's, I think that's the hard. It's, it, it, it just seems, I've, I heard that this weekend, I was talking to a friend of mine and he's like, I just don't think there is any truth. Mm. And obviously my, always my sarcastic answer is like, oh, is that true? <laughs> like, you know, that, that to me, and, and, is that true? Which I totally see. I mean, like, I understand like, like, man, like what is true? It's like, you know, like definitively, like what happened here mm-hmm. and I think that I think that's what most people were saying is like, how can you say that that is what happened? You know, <laughs> it's like no, it's complex, but something did happen. <laughs> I mean, what do you take that to mean when somebody says, makes a statement like, "I don't think that there is truth," or there, or there is truth? Mm-hmm. What what is truth? Hmm. I mean, how can you make a statement about its existence? Yeah, without first attempting a definition. Well, to me, it's a, it's a first principle or axiom for me, you know, as far as like what you mean by truth, if there is no truth, then there's nothing follows. Mm -hmm. Like you basically, it's nihilism. It's nihilism. You can basically make up anything else, anything that you want to. And as long as you get enough people to believe what you think, then you have power and sway. And, and that's, that's the truth, but that's more of a dictatorial <laughs> decree than it is truth. <laughs> it reminds me of that line that Ivan Fyodorovich mm-hmm. from Brothers Karamazov says to Alyosha. He says, if there is no God, then man should be permitted anything, mm-hmm. which is a similar thing to say as, well, if there's no truth, 
then you, as you said, you can make anything up. Well, then it just comes down to marketing, you know, <laughs> and well, advertising. And, and you should be permitted anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, this reminds me a lot of um, what's going on in gender ideology mm. in the West right now, mm-hmm. which is basically saying there is no such thing as truth. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm not going to engage with any conversation about what may or may not be true. Reality is completely subjective. Mm-hmm. And whatever I see and feel, you must respect, mm-hmm. which is to say, I should be permitted to do whatever I want to do. And if there is no truth, the only way to justify that is is for there to be no truth, aka no God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think just just fundamentally, I I see that it's just it's it's a it's an axiom that you cannot move around because anything you say after, I don't think there's a truth, has no substance. Where when I would say I, I think there is a truth, and I want to find that out, and and then there's an exploratory aspect to what is truth. And I think that's the hard thing for people to deal with because they want a lot of people want definitive answers where truth is something that is revealing, revela- revelatory, mm-hmm. and that it's 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 like once you think you have a handle on it, it goes deeper. And once you get a think you get a handle on that, it just goes deeper. And so uh, I think that's why we call it the pursuit of truth. Well, our little um intro music mm-hmm. was so, uh, a kind of um it was a beat i guess that i made <laughs> uh-huh. and spoke this poem that i wrote over it and one of the lines that you can hear mm-hmm. before we start talking every week is if you think you see it you do not mm-hmm. if you think you saw it you did mm-hmm. the truth is something like that mm-hmm. perhaps god is something like that can you look at god mm-hmm. no do you see him Yes. If you're sure, which is the same thing to say is you should have strong convictions held loosely. Mm -hmm. If you think you know the truth, you're kind of a fool because Mm -hmm. the truth always goes deeper. Mm -hmm. So you don't know it fully. Which I I love how you said that too. It's like, if you think you see it, you don't. If you think you saw it, you did. And there's something about which is looking backwards and you're able to kind of see how that kind of came to be, mm-hmm. but it's more like you're kind of, you have to kind of like look backwards in order to see if that was true. You know, um, like when you're looking forward, you're kind of anticipating and like, well, I think this is happening. You're kind of like trying to anticipate what that is out there. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking back, <clears throat> I mean, even that's a little bit sticky because you're, the, 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 the complexities of, of all, everything that kind of, came into that, like, you know, as far as like, what is the truth? How did Michael and Allison meet my wife? You know, Mm. well, there's a huge complexity, but I can only look back and see how that sort of, how that manifests itself, you know, but is there more to that? Yes. There's, there's complexity beyond complexity, but at least you can kind of like grab a couple of threads and bring them into the present, you know? Yeah, I think when you say something of the past, I don't know where this analogy is going to go, but for some reason (laughs) I think of like about when you're hiking in the woods Mm -hmm. and maybe you and I are on a hike and you kind of go around a turn before I do and then I catch up and you say, hey, did you see that bear, Mm. you know, down there in that little ravine? I can say, oh yeah, I saw that. But there's a difference between that which is a, a form of acknowledgement. We both acknowledge something. Mm-hmm. We both acknowledge the same thing. But if I ask you, do you see me? Mm. How are you going to answer that? Like I'm sitting here looking you in the eyes and I say, do you see me? Oh, For, I love that. First of all, mm-hmm. you're probably going to think, well, what exactly do you mean? Totally. I, I perceive your form. I can see into your eyes and intuit something about the state of your soul, mm-hmm. but there are reaches within you which I cannot gaze upon. Mm-hmm. So, do I see you? Kind of. Or like, am I? What? What? What are you seeing? Like, you know, even just in our conversation tonight, you talking about your dad. Is that? Am I seeing you through that lens of? Wow, Matt just 
lost his dad over the last month and a half, and there's all these things that he's working through and and memories and all that kind of stuff. Is that, mm-hmm. you know, or Matt, who's starting a new job, you know, right. it's like, like, what does that mean to see somebody? And I think that it's like, and then you also get this idea of when you start layering those things on top of each other, uh, and then even imagine that there is even more layers and you, that I could never perceive. And so I, I think that that's beautiful. There's, there's a, oh shoot, I forget which tribe, but, oh, it's like, there's this, there's this greeting. It's like, I see you. It's mm-hmm. like, I feel seen, you know, there's something like, 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 it's like a greeting. Is that an avatar? Well, it is an avatar okay. too, but it's, it's, uh, but that's based on a real thing. Yeah. It's yeah. based on a real thing. Uh, my CEO used to joke around like, uh, <laughs> some, I forgot where this came from, but <laughs> we were, we always joke around like, I see you. It's like, I feel seen. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but there is something about that and that you're, you're sort of acknowledging something beyond just the surface and, you know, and and I think that's what that greeting is about. Well, there's something, there's humility in that. I think Mm. when, when I say, if we greet each other and I say, I see you and you say, I feel seen, Mm -hmm. you have to approach that with humility because neither of those things can be fully true. Mm -hmm. And yet they are true enough and important enough to be acknowledged. And in order to acknowledge them properly, you have to have the humility to know that I see you, but I see you through faltering eyes, Hmm. through limited perspective. Mm -hmm. And it takes my active attention and intentional attention for that to be true. So it it is adopting a posture towards you which says, I choose to, to see you. I choose mm-hmm. to attempt to see you. And then your response, I feel seen, is mm-hmm. to adopt the humility of the position which allows you to be vulnerable mm-hmm. enough to be seen in mm-hmm. some true sense, mm-hmm. which makes that really powerful. And I think it was really powerful in the movie Avatar. Mm-hmm. You know, they're greeting to each other. I see <clears throat> you. I feel seen. Yeah. Wow, it's it, you know as we're talking about this, and, you know, there's this real. Sometimes you and I get into this. I don't know if you call it like esoteric space where it's really hard to pin to pin that down. Like, what does it mean to be seen? What does it mean to say I see you? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's that paradox, that place in between where I could then go on and explain to you what it means to be seen or to accept being seen, you know, you can, and yet that doesn't, it never really, uh, it never really solidifies like what that means. However, everyone knows what it feels like to say, I see you and someone go, no, you don't, you know, like that, Mm -hmm. that sort of like abruptness is like, sort of like, oh, wow. Like what, what was that? something, you know, where someone's like, it's like, even if it's like an attempt, like I might be thinking in my head, no, you don't see me clearly. Mm-hmm. I see your attempt. Yeah. And I feel seen in that, you know, mm-hmm. so there's an acceptance somewhere in there, but there's, it's like, I was just thinking about what, what happens if someone denies that? Like, or. Well, I think that's the opposite of the position of humility, which mm-hmm. says I allow myself to be seen. Mm-hmm. If you say, I see you and I say, no, you don't. Yeah. I'm. I am signaling to you that I'm not interested in relationship with you. Hmm. Or even someone who says like, I see you. You're like, uh, what? that wasn't, you didn't, you didn't really, there's, it, it, it's funny because yeah. it, you kind of start to get in this sort of woo woo area or vibe area where, wait, the vibe on that was just not right. Like right. you said, you see me, but you really didn't say that. Like, <laughs> Hey Matt. Yeah, I see you, man. Like, you know, it's, so it's funny, like there's something that we can even communicate with like, whether it's by voice tonation or physical sort of how we, uh, sort of, um, signal that with our facial cues mm-hmm. and, and vo- voice tones that we all kind of understand like what that means. And when someone doesn't mean that too, at the same time, you know, <laughs> yeah, our ability to ascertain and judge 
sincerity and authenticity mm-hmm. is pretty incredible. Yeah. And even to imagine that that's real. And that we can <laughs> signal it uh-huh. with our voice and our face and our body and our eyes mm-hmm. in, in these just tiny, seemingly imperceptible ways. Yeah. But it all adds up to you can engender trust and endearment yeah. in, a, in a moment mm-hmm. of time. I've been, I keep turning over this analogy in my head about this idea of, of being seen and, and of something being true and what is truth. And it's something like if we were watching a movie, let's say Avatar, because we've already mm-hmm. mentioned it, and you've never seen it before. So say both of us have never seen it before and we, we're playing it and about halfway through – I pause it, and then we attempt to have a discussion and say, what is true about the story of Avatar? Mm -hmm. It would be a silly question because although you may be able to say some correct and and make some correct and factual observations about what you've seen, Mm -hmm. you can't say what's true about the story because you haven't seen the whole story. Hmm. So there's an element of what truth is, which is beyond us because the story continues. Mm -hmm. And when I say to you, I see you, Mm -hmm. whatever it is that I see, whatever is true of who you are is unfolding. Mm -hmm. And if I stop looking, well, then I no longer know what's true. Yeah, sort of like if a, a high school friend of yours came up to you and said, I see you, it oh, you might be kind of a little bit confusing. Hmm. Like, as I was then or as I am now? Well, so I actually had that experience recently hmm. at my dad's memorial service. There were some people there that I mm-hmm. hadn't seen since high school. And mm-hmm. I did have uh, an interaction with one of someone I was very close to in high school and she didn't use the words, I see you, but she said something. Mm-hmm. don't really remember the words, but it was like she looked in my eyes and she – there was a, a recognition of mm-hmm. something which was true then and is true now. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a sort of a, an I see you mm-hmm. moment, like you're still there, mm-hmm. you know. That's fascinating. I, I think you kind of went on the other side of that, which which is also fascinating that somebody could not see you for 20 years and still be like, oh, yeah, there's a lot more going on in there, but I see that. Still see that thread, yeah, that, that common f- thread yeah, exactly. of identity. Because mm-hmm. there's also like those, ex- those experiences where you run into somebody, you know, you're like, whoa, you're, you're way different than what you used to be. Mm-hmm. My experience of you, whatever that was, the way that I saw you at this point and the way I see you now, something has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating that as far as a human experience goes, that somehow we get we are able to tune into those very ethereal sort of, you know, hmm. spaces that... The, to put words to it, it's so difficult. You can say, oh, well, I had these experiences and this is how it changed me. Da, 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 you know? Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was so much more than that. It might have been the tears, the heartache, you know, maybe the successes and along the way that brought you to that space. But, but there's also, there's definitely an acknowledgement between... It just strikes me that there's so much more going on mm. than we are tuned into. Mm-hmm. You use that word ethereal. Mm-hmm. And I kind of cringed at that word a little mm-hmm. bit. But, you know, there's there might not be a better description because we don't know what it is we're talking about. Mm. And it just reminds me of 
know, you and I talk a ton about this book, The Master and His Emissary, written by Ian McGilchrist. And his whole thesis is that he uses the two hemispheres of the brain to try to explain a lot of things about life. And the interesting thing is that your left brain is concerned with what it knows. It categorizes things. It's largely responsible for language. It um, differentiates between things. It recognizes things. Um, But it's also something of a tyrant, a tyrant, (laughs) sort of a narcissist. Like Mm. it, it thinks it knows, it's fine knowing what it knows and thinks that, that that's enough. Mm-hmm. It is, to use our shores of ignorance analogy, the the part which never goes to the shore and mm-hmm. engages the ignorance. Mm-hmm. The, the right brain, right hemisphere, is 100% concerned with what it doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's inarticulate. Mm-hmm. It's... I loved, um, he used the analogy of a bird and he said, if a bird of prey is flying and birds tend to have two eyes that Uh, can go in different directions. And mm -hmm. he says, you probably want one eye that's trying to seek for prey, but also another eye that's scanning the sky for any other birds that are going to try to come and use, you know, eat you. Mm -hmm. So you've got one part of the hemisphere connected to one eye, which is concerned with everything that you don't know that you need to be looking out for. Mm -hmm. And then another thing, another eye in another hemisphere that is looking at, well, I need to eat. I know exactly that I need to eat and what I need to eat and where it might be. And I'm engaged in that. Mm -hmm. So it's a really interesting um, phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I've lost the thread to where, (laughs) where you, where you, what you were saying that brought me down that road, but um, as you say so many times, I know myself and yet I don't know myself. Mm. And that's sort of the same position as this, I see you, I feel seen. Mm-hmm. And then left in recognition. Right of, hemisphere, yeah. It's, it's acknowledgement and recognition, but also humility to the fact that you don't mm. know. Well, I even, I even kind of see this in people's comments, um, whether it be... Uh, I mean, we have some comments on ours, but also on just other um, podcasts and YouTube videos. And I feel like sometimes people are are really challenging, especially when people are exploring or challenging some of the more, the language that's not as precise. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and which I get because I think it's very important for us to be precise in how we explain things. However, there's a, there's also a place that you're trying to kind of like you're talking around things and circling around mm. and exploring and the words that you're you're kind of discovering the words as you go like i mean in this conversation right now like using ethereal and and you know i i see you i i I'm, i feel seen mm. you know it's like that doesn't really make sense like what does that mean yeah i see you i've got two eyes like what is it duh you yeah, know right <laughs> But, the, but you're also trying to, you're, you're also kind of going beyond just the physical seeing into what are you seeing? And, mm-hmm. and it's not just physical, but there's something that there's re- something that's relational that you're seeing, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be relational with the person in themselves or relational between you and that person. And those are harder things to describe in a way that is as good as, as sufficient as sort of, I see Matt's nose. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, right. there's Matt's nose. Everybody can see Matt's nose, you know? <laughs> right. Like that, it's a lot more obvious. So. Mm. And I, so I always kind of find that really fascinating. You can kind of see what people are kind of comfortable with, you know, as far as, um, I mean, you can also go too far and you start saying things that are like <laughs> maybe not enough tied to reality or to tie to things itself, you know, but I don't know. Explore that. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, sometimes when I will listen to something, everyone's talking about, oh, the energy of the earth. And, you know, then you, you, I feel this repelling, this repelling aspect of Venus, you know, (laughs) retrograde or something like that. It's like, maybe I just don't have the right vocabulary or the language that really uh-huh. to get, so I can totally acknowledge that. But at the same time, I'm like going, what are you talking about? You know? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
so I think that's there's sort of a but I also can see you're really not saying anything sometimes. <laughs> I go, go somewhere maybe interesting with that. Okay, interesting. Go for it. So I was was doing some writing recently about the end of my marriage and in the divorce process. Because I really I want to write something about that. I, I want to write something specifically about the male experience of divorce as it is experienced through the legal system. Hmm. I think there's something important there. But um, something that I wrote is that when I first realized that my ex-wife had talked to a lawyer, mm-hmm. all of a sudden our relationship got much less personal. Hmm. And as I wrote that, I was kind of surprised by it. I was like, what? why would hiring a lawyer and involving the legal system make things less personal? And I realized it's because it's at that point that everything is generalized into and slotted into existing categories that have nothing to do with your relationship. They have nothing to do with what I know of her or what she knows of me. It's mm-hmm. the opposite of I see you, I, I feel seen. Mm. It is the law sees you and you don't feel seen because the law only sees what it can see. The law is very limited it, as it needs to be because, well, individuals are far too complex mm-hmm. to have laws pertain to them specifically. So. I think there's a, a, a similar thing to um, the astrology thing, for example. Hmm. So I was starting to date this girl a couple of years ago, and she was way into astrology, and she asked me for my um, birthday and time of birth and, you know, whatever. And... Um, some of you listening know exactly where this is going. There's a great, a great meme, which, which is just a, a screenshot of a text conversation with two texts. And it's like a guy texting his mom saying, hey, mom, what time was I born? And the mom responds, stop talking to her. <laughs> it's really funny. I love that. So anyway, um, and th- this has happened multiple times with multiple different women is, you know, they, they want to run a compatibility, astronomical compatibility mm. thing, astrological. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and she said, well, here's the results we have. I've never been connected so strongly to someone. Mm. And I thought I, the reaction I had at the time was I feel like our relationship just got less personal Hmm. because based upon a single metric, which is the time of birth, you're telling me that we're closely connected. And I'm thinking that doesn't take into account anything about me, Mm -hmm. anything about our relationship up until now, Mm -hmm. our interactions, our conversations. It's a, it's a single generalized metric, just like, the definition of abandonment in the law or um, fault versus no fault divorce. Mm -hmm. Everything falls into these categories that are not personal. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why maybe I tend to be a bit turned off by things like astrology. Mm -hmm. However, to resurrect the comment that I said earlier, which is there's much more going on than we're aware of. I can't dismiss it entirely mm-hmm. because there's clearly things out there that we don't understand. Yeah. And is there meaning? Like, I can't say that there's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just to kind of take it, like, how, what is it, what does it have to do just even in your development in the womb? You know, if, if the moon has such you know, impact on our tides mm-hmm. the way that it does. Yeah. Is, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not going all the way here, but that's, I think I'm in the same camp as you is I can't deny there might be some 
impact in that. In, yeah. And again, I think there's there's a, maybe this is kind of going in a different direction. Is like I think there are tools. You know, I think when you go see a therapist or things in psychology, there's tools that kind of help you maybe suss through. Like here, let me give you a couple categories. Let me give you three categories or nine categories. Right. How do you kind of feel about these nine categories? Okay, well, I'm kind of a, I kind of feel closer to these two or three. And so you start kind of also weeding out some some things that might not apply to you directly. And so categorization is helpful. Um, however, it can also it but doesn't it doesn't tell the full it doesn't tell the full story. No. I mean, this is an idea that I keep running into recently, which is that all car all categories are arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Are they meaningful? Yes, but they are arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really great lecture by Robert Sapolsky. So I think it's on the – so it's like Stanford has published a ton of the, their professors' lectures and there's a really great lecture by him about the idea of categories. And he uses the, the light spectrum as an example and he says, mm. you know, we say there's eight colors. Mm. But where we draw the line between red and yellow is completely arbitrary. Yeah. And on the left, we say it's red, and on the right, we say it's yellow. But that's a simple, arbitrary distinction, mm-hmm. but we have to make it. Mm-hmm. And the point is, we have to make it, but then we have to remember that it was arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And we have to be able to play with it and move it and question it and adjust it. And within that you know, set of eight colors, say, well, how many reds are there? The answer mm-hmm. is an infinite. And how different are they? Well, infinitely different. Hmm. So your categorization is necessary to move forward in life, to make any meaning of anything, to have any kind of conversation. We have to agree on what's read, but on the edges, things stop fitting into the categories. Hmm. I'll make that. Well, I mean, I, again, I mean, we just kind of keep circling around the idea of paradox is that, you know, categories are necessary mm-hmm. and also categories don't tell us the full story. Right. And it's so much more complex. And so it's like being able to leave room for the unknown. And it's mm-hmm. like you have to have you have to have a little space in your belief system for the unknown. And a lot of times I think that's uh, you, you kind of see that in, you know, talking about God or something like that. God is a shepherd or, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like there's, a, but also it's like, there's this unknown aspect. And so I think that's, that's kind of the, I think that's a really healthy worldview when you can have a world that you can approach and that is noble and known. And at the same time is you're continually exploring because it is unknown at the same time. And <clears throat> I think a lot of people, uh, and again, I think it's, it should be struggled with, but I, I feel like a lot of times we try to, to come down on one side or the other of that, and that's where we err as far as there is no truth. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, there's no conversation. I mean, that seems like just as grave an error as saying mm-hmm. there is truth and I know it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the truth. Right. Oh. Just that. <laughs> like people say like, Jesus is the truth. And you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like, like <laughs> kind of break that down for me if you, if you don't mind. <laughs> say more. <laughs> say more. <laughs> you know? Or even like, you know, we've talked about like, you just, you know, you know, God, like God is sort of like that placeholder for truth, you know? It's like, yeah. And, and it's like, well, what does that mean? And, and that, that's like, that's an unexplorable Ultimately, unexplorable topic. However, the or, closer or, I, or you could say infinitely explorable. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, which is similar to saying unexplorable because mm-hmm. they're kind of both true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love, I, I, I love this, this, that space. It's just such a, yeah. It invigorates me as far as it's the whole point of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, even I, I might have brought this up in the last podcast, and that was something that I really, my son said that was just sort of, he's like, I, I, again, I'm, I'm tooting my own horn, but he's like, I love talking to you because it's like you're able to kind of like 
hold things lightly mm-hmm. and just and kind of not kind of explore things and 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 not be so draconian in your <laughs> in your logic, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I can be draconian in my logic too, <laughs> but <laughs> but. Uh, I just think it's it's such a I think that's something I've I always want to aspire to hold and whenever I'm not doing that I think it really bothers me that's probably the one thing that bothers me the most is whenever I hold on to something a little bit too dearly and then yeah. it's revealed <laughs> you're like damn it <laughs> I mean it's everything from like you know I think marriage and kids draw that out into you the most is because there's a certain amount of stability that you're providing for your kids. And there's a, a certain, a certainty that you do bring to, to keep a, a, a household, you know, and together, hmm. you know, it's a, it's the same thing whenever you talk about, um, uh, a belief system, you know, okay. There's certain tenants that you're holding on to, And, but when you hold on to those tenants too tightly, it can kind of become tyrannical. However, you still need that framework in order to, that, that kind of keeps you guys, you know, it's like, okay, we dinner together at night, mm-hmm. every night. That's what we do. That can also be tyrannical, but it's also a helpful sort of gauge that keeps your community together. Um, and it's dependable. And so you need those things that are dependable. And, and I think that is helpful seems like so many things in life are that way. Whatever is good, if it's sort of insisted upon, it dies on the vine and mm. becomes something like dogma. Mm-hmm. Like you say, we're going to eat dinner together every night. You know? Okay, well, that might be fine when they're two mm-hmm. because they can't, you know, they don't know any, they can't, they're not going to eat dinner by themselves, right? It's mm-hmm. like, okay, that, duh, obviously. Yeah. But then by the time they're, 28 and have a wife and kids, it's pretty unhealthy for me to tell my 28-year-old son with a wife and kids, we're going to eat dinner together every night. I think his wife's going to have a bit of an issue with that, you know, Uh, as much as she likes me. They're trying to raise their own family now. And so there has to be something relational about what is good and, Mm. and, and what is true, something that, which responds as what is good changes. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean changes like in effect. Um. Well, give the example of the, of the eating together. It's like, why were you eating together? What's, it's one time, everyone's off doing their own things. One time we can be together mm-hmm. and connect relationally. Right. Like that is the point. However, if you have, if you have your own family, that's no longer helpful to connect relationally <laughs> if, if, if your son and their family has to drive over to your house every day, every night. Yeah, to do that, you know. So it's it's again. I think there's, it's like what what rule? Why was that rule set in place? It, was, it usually has some some idea of a relational aspect, you know. Even when you're talking about, you know, lawyers, and it's like there, there's a reason why we have those rules, and I think that's why we have judges that are, are supposed to kind of look at the spirit of the law and apply it to each individual situation right? so that it's not tyrannical. That's why I think it's so much more useful to think about something like truth as a person mm-hmm. rather than a statistic or a fact. Mm. Because as you learn what the truth is, the truth is also somehow growing and mm. learning itself. And never changing. And also never changing. <laughs> oh, we're in deep waters now, baby. I know. Well, it's all about like how, you, how, how you're encountering it. You know, it's like if you're encountering it on a personal level, yeah. it is growing and, and changing. But if you're, if you're encountering it from an objective space, it never changed. It's your relationship to that that's changing. Right. But does it matter that something exists if you have no relationship to it? I think it does fundamentally, but not individually. Like individually, it's how you experience it. But objectively, that it exists whether whether you relate to it or not. Mm-hmm. 
Do you want to unpack that a little more? It's kind of that's that's a that's a big that's a big. Uh, I don't idea know that right I'm. There. I think I'm not there. Right now. Not ready to go down that, that, that road. That's My a, brain's yeah. already splintering a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're probably at a good place to leave this one. But yeah. I'm just like, yes. That's reminds me of. I don't know who said this. I think I've said it on the pod before. But like the opposite of a big truth. Or no, it's the opposite of a small truth is a lie. Hmm. The opposite of a big truth is another big truth. Hmm. That's paradox. Mm-hmm. And that truth is relational and yet also must be objective. Hmm. Just like I am objectively something, mm-hmm. undeniably here, and yet you don't know me. Yeah. So I think that's why I like to say that truth is a person because, well, to the extent that it exists objectively, you only know anything about that relationally. And you can say something exists outside of your relation. Like you exist outside of your my relationship with you mm-hmm. objectively. And yet whatever there is to know about you, I can only know by being in relationship with you. Mm-hmm. I think all truths are like that. Yeah. And that is const- that's simultaneously invigorating and illuminating and maddening. Mm-hmm. I think which is why I love that um, the word Israel means those who wrestle with God. Mm. The truth is something to be wrestled with. It isn't something to simply be observed. Mm -hmm. It's to be grappled, Hmm. to be wrestled with, to almost sort of be be argued with. And that's what a wrestling match is. It's an argument of two bodies. Which is fascinating because, you know, it's like, I think in order to... Again, that's that's the thing you have to acknowledge is that there is truth, mm-hmm. because then that's when you're able to wrestle. If you deny truth in its totality, then there's nothing. Mm-hmm. You can't. You, you're wrestling with nothing, and I think that's that's the intellectually honest um, position that you have to have. It's like only when you can acknowledge that there is truth. Whether I know it or not, that's a whole nother question. Right. And that's, I think that's where, again, that's why I think for me, it's a basic axiom that I have to accept because the alternative, there's nothing to do. It's a game. It's a play. We're at a, an intersection in the road of dialogue <laughs> where I've, there's so many places I, I want to go. Let's go. We could we could wrap it. I think it's, I think it's, there's a lot that, that I think we've keep kind of coming back to f- a few of these sort of themes throughout the last probably. Five I'm or just going to make a note that um, <clears throat> well, what what becomes of the world if there is no truth? Hmm what becomes of you. And I think there's a lot of things happening right now that Dostoevsky and Nietzsche essentially predicted Mm -hmm. and have already come to pass maybe once, twice or three times and are already happening again. It's like, this is constantly playing out Mm -hmm. is that if there is no truth, then like, if I say there's no such thing as wrestling, we're just going anyway. (laughs) I know. If there's no such thing as wrestling, then why do people keep, grabbing my arms and legs. And, if, and so then I have to say, well, I'm a victim and there are these oppressors who are immorally manipulating my body because I don't believe there's anything as wrestling, any such thing as wrestling. Whereas in reality, it's like, no, you you live in a relational world and people are going to be pushing up against you and bumping up against you, whether that's physically mm-hmm. or spiritually or intellectually. And your proper position is to wrestle with that. Mm -hmm. It's a dance. Mm -hmm. 
and whatever there is to be true, you discover it that way. You don't, it, it's not a thing that exists in a vacuum that you simply know, and then you can get mad at everyone else for disagreeing with you about. Mm-hmm. The truth is relational. And I think that's what's so sad to me, I think, about this postmodern idea that there's no such thing as truth, there is only power, mm. is that it kills a relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is like a stinking rot in our culture mm. and in our society. It's taking this idea that you can't, like you say you see me mm-hmm. and I, I accept that you see me. Whereas I could say, you don't see me, which is equally true. But if I concentrate on that and I say, you don't see me, mm-hmm. you don't know me, how could you know me? You know nothing about me. Mm-hmm. I'm killing relationship. I'm saying, I don't want to be in relationship with you. Mm. And this whole postmodern hyper-focus on individuation and marginalization and uniqueness, while all true, the focus on it without the recognition of I see you, I feel seen, mm-hmm. is rotting our relationships and our institutions. Mm-hmm. I can't go anywhere because I really go too far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there. That was... Um, uh. Well, I say have something. That little monologue, I don't know. <laughs> I love it because like there's so many like there's so many little places to kind of splinter off and go into. Like, well, maybe next week we'll play the last clip of that mm-hmm. and then continue the conversation. Okay. Because my guess is that very few people make it this far in the podcast, <laughs> so we'll put this at the beginning of next week. Well, at least like a hundred thousand of our million followers do. Right, yeah. but still, but still, that's nine hundred thousand. Didn't listen to this part. Ten percent. Ten percent. Okay. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Love you guys. Love you all out there. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Buenos noches. The great thing about this that subject is just, there's so much. So much to just...